from between now and up until just about uh, the time of Advent, we're going to cover a number of these topics about relationships. And I'm beginning intentionally with singleness, being single. And before, let me say this uh, also. You've probably noticed I'm not a big topical preacher. If you don't know what that means, I don't like to take topics and then try to say everything about that topic in 30 minutes and go from all these different scriptures and say, here's what the Bible has to say about parenting. And then you just try to blah as much as you can uh, for a few reasons. One, I'm not good at it. Two, um, I find it much more helpful if we can just take one passage and say, we're not going to learn everything about a topic, but we're going to see what this passage has to say. And we start the conversation. And lest anybody think it's a problem, there's nothing wrong with topical preaching. Some people don't like it, the reform types, and I'm one of them. However, Christ preached topically, constantly. Lest anyone think it's, it's wrong. It's not wrong. It's hard, and it's more dangerous at times for we humans because it means we can get on a hobby horse. And instead of letting Scripture decide what we preach, we let the culture decide what we preach. Topics instead of what Scripture does. So I am not quick to do it. So as we hit each of these topics, you're going to notice I'm going to take a passage that mentions, that speaks to it, and we're going to drill into that one. So I'm going to leave some things unsaid. And that's okay. That's why you have community groups. That's why we have coffees <laughs> and many discussions and other resources as well. So with that, as we talk about singleness, I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 7, and it's verses 6 to 9, it's up on the screen, 6 to 9 and 32 to 35. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as my, I, am, I myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single, as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now down to verse 32. I have to find it as well here. Here we go. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Okay, so Paul says some interesting things there. And singleness, the reason I start with singleness on a topic of relationships is a few reasons. One, all of us have been or will be single at some point in our lives. You were single before you had a spouse. Some of us are called to lifelong singleness. And be it death or divorce will mean a lot of you are single now because of these things. So, and you know what else is interesting? The Bible speaks a lot about singleness and speaks very positively about it. And yet, that's kind of weird because the culture and the church don't always love people who are single. They don't know how to deal with them. It's like, it's awkward at times. So I thought it was, it's important to cover it because single, singleness in Scripture has a huge part in God's larger salvific and plan for the world and for the universe. If you don't believe it, just notice that Jesus was single. And so was Paul. So we're going to look this morning four things. See how I break the mold? It's a new year. Four things. Um, as quickly as we can. And we're going to see, and I'm going to put it on the screen. I'm going to try to help people follow me as best I can uh, here. Uh, it's pretty straightforward, but just in case. 
we're going to see that singleness is a gift, not abnormal. It's a grace, not cruel. It's a joy, not bleak. And it's a preparation, and that's not forever. Okay? So there's the positive and the negative. Because you know, the negative I put up there, because often that's the, the people think, oh, it's not normal. If somebody's single, the question is, well, what's wrong with them? Right? Why are they single? Or uh, it must be cruel to make somebody be celibate their whole life and not have sex. Oh, my goodness. Or it's, it can't be joyful. It has to be a gift because you need a gift to endure singleness. Right? That's the, these are the assumptions we have. But they're not really true. But we're gonna, so we're going to walk through that. And the first thing is it's a gift. Now, the views of marriage have changed a lot in the last 70 years or so. In 1957, the University of Michigan did a study. Uh, they wanted to determine how people perceived unmarried people. And so they got thousands of people in the study and asked a bunch of questions. But one of them was, what words would you use to describe people who choose to be unmarried? And the words, the three top words, 80% of people chose these words out of a long list. These are the words they chose. Immoral, sick, and neurotic. 1957. Um, because the idea was then, and it still lingers today, even if it's not quite as vitriolic. The question, people still say, gosh, who would choose to be single? That was the, the feeling then. And it is with many people today. Nobody would want to do it. And a woman named Mariella Frostrup, who is a journalist in England, um, is single. Well, was when she wrote this. I don't know if she still is. Not a Christian. But she points out how this stigma still exists a little bit. And here's what she says. Marriage has an undeserved reputation as the only way of life worth aspiring to. Cohabitation comes a close second, and the popular misconception is that no one would choose to be single. Being single, particularly as a woman, continues to get a bad press. Pitied. Poor thing can't get a man. Vilified. Single mom syndrome. Or, con or condescended to. Isn't it time you grew up? but never celebrated as a chosen way of life. And she is right. Not a Christian, so I have issues with some of what she says there. But in general, she's right. We still don't understand single people all the time, which is, which is odd because it's growing rapidly. 40% of Canadians today are not married. The greatest number of people between the age of 18 to 34 are unmarried in Canada, ever. In fact, the number has gone from 26% in 19, I think it was 81, to today, 73%. So three quarters of Canadians between 18 and 34 are not married. And 56% of Canadians think marriage is really unnecessary. So we're going to see singleness become a, a bigger representation of the population. So it's important that we figure out how does the, what does the Bible have to say about all this. And in the church, it's not much, not much better. But how do, why is it that people aren't marrying? So some of it's pragmatic reasons, practical reasons. In the ancient world, in the older days, women couldn't work, didn't have access to careers, so they had to marry for their livelihood. A lot of people married simply because of sex. That's the, that's the simplest, most culturally acceptable way to do it. So they did that. But when you now have an age where women can make money, and sex is certainly freely available, what's the point in getting married? That's the idea amongst many people, many Canadians. But it's not just that cultural depictions in the media have now glorified singleness. Remember the hit show Friends? Oh, six single people in New York living it up, having a great time, sleeping around, doing what they want. So inevitably, the culture is dictating that not only is it acceptable, which biblically it is acceptable to be single,
but there's a certain brand of singleness it's promoting. And so that is be finding its way into the culture and into the church. Um, there is a negative side of singleness, uh, just like there is of marriage. Sometimes people stay single for the wrong reasons. They're, they're selfish. And this, trust me, we marry for the wrong reasons constantly too. So this isn't that singleness is worse. But there is a sense in which single people can say things like Frostrup, this woman I've quoted, says it if you read more of her works, says things like, listen, it's great, I can live guilt-free. I can just enjoy myself. I don't have to, I'm not beholden to anyone, especially no man. You know? And there's a sense where I can do what I want. I'm not, no one tells me what to do with my life. And that's okay, but there's also a negative side there, potentially. So there's lots of reasons, manifold reasons, why people are staying single. And some, as Christians, of course, are called to singleness. Now, in the church, we still have issues. I think I put this in a social media post. When somebody says, if you're, especially sadly, if you're a woman and you're in your 30s or something and you're single and you've never been married, you may, they may say, oh, well, interesting, that's good. But you see behind their eyes is like, poor thing, poor thing. She doesn't know the joys of marriage or whatever. There is this sense, and I know it, and it's an awkward situation to be in. Sam Alberry is a pastor. He's an apologist, but he's also single. Uh, and he's chosen to be single. And he says, marriage, has an, oh, sorry, marriage is a conversational intersection with all sorts of interesting avenues of discussion. Singleness is a more, controver- uh, con- conversation, more, sorry, more of a conversational cul-de-sac requiring an awkward maneuver to exit. Because, because he knows it. As a guy who's in his 30s, I think he's in his 30s, I don't know exactly, um, he has the question all the time, why are you single? Why are you single? Like, why would you be? Is there something wrong with you? Are you okay? Um, and he has to struggle with it all the time, and yet here we have Paul saying it's a gift. In chapter 7 of Corinthians, he is saying, he's comparing the church in Corinth that he planted, go to Acts 18, Acts 18 and he plants the church, is not doing well. It's divided on a lot of topics. And one of them is marriage and sex. And in this marriage issue, he says, you know, marriage, this is how you behave, this is how it should be. He said, but if you're single like me, it's a good thing too. And in the same breath, at the very start of what we read, he says, but each has his own gift. So you don't have to get married, you don't have to be single. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. And so what he does is he says, singleness is a gift. And remember, it's not to say it's better than marriage, but it is a gift nonetheless. And as I hinted at earlier, often people will say, yes, the gift of singleness means you've been given the ability to endure loneliness and celibacy. No, that's not what the gift is. The gift isn't that you've been given the ability to endure something. God calling people to singleness is not calling them to a prison sentence. The gift is singleness. And that's a very subtle change, but one that we have to recognize. Being single can be a gift if it's from God. Because all through Corinthians, what does Paul say? Gifts are from God for the person and for the church. And so if it's a gift, then we have to try to understand how singleness is a gift from God, a good one, because he doesn't give bad ones, and how it benefits the individual, but also the larger body, because singles are a very important part of Redeemer, and should be and will be in the future. But what fashion? In what way? Well, first point is made. It is a gift. Now, let's move into the second point. It's not, so it's not abnormal, but it's a grace as well. It's not cruel. We live today in a time that is almost, but not entirely, unprecedented as opposed, uh, with its sexualization. And by that, what it means, when people say the culture is sexualized, what they mean is every avenue has somehow finds all roads lead to sex. 
in our culture. Every conversation gets there. Every TV show is there. And as a result, the, the, what the, the philosophy that has now come out of it, which you're seeing, and I've seen here at Redeemer as well in my office in private conversations with people, is this. If you are not sexually active, you are not fully human. That's the assumption. That to be fully human means to express yourself sexually. And this is a pretty new idea, even not entirely. But to say that this is the most meaningful expression is, a, is hugely problematic. And I've seen it here. I've had young people come in and say, but if I'm single, why shouldn't I have relations outside of marriage? Because isn't it cruel? Isn't it cruel to ask somebody to never have that sort of intimacy for their whole life just because God says so? Isn't it cruel? And not just that, skeptics, if you're here, if you're listening, then you're probably thinking, it's true, we're naturally sexual people, it's not just cruel, but it's unnecessary and it's unjust. You're being terrible. Stop telling people to be celibate if they're not married. So, we can't answer every question. I'm going to do a talk just on that, that three-letter word topic, um, which will be far more uncomfortable for you than this one. But, um, and it's funny, I was telling Sarah, the only way to preach as a preacher is to become self-forgetful. I have to forget that, you, that I, I'm, I'm, I don't have to preserve a reputation. Because if I did, I wouldn't speak about these things publicly to you. I have to remember my job is to teach the, the gospel and not just teach nice things all the time. Um, so, what we are going to really quickly ask is, is it cruel? Because some of you may think it is. Some of you may be of, listen, I know as church people, we have very conservative views on paper until our children start behaving a certain way. When our children come out with a different gender identity, it's easy for our theology to change because our feelings have changed. When our kids are living in relationships that are not biblical, it's easy to say, well, okay, they, you know, they still love the Lord. Yeah, I understand that, but we're wrong to do it. And now let's answer this question, because people may come to you in time, or you may be asking these questions, isn't it cruel of God to say, don't have relationships of this sort, physical relationships with people, outside of marriage? Well, it is only cruel if we believe three lies that the, the culture is currently telling us. So let me go through those as quickly as I can. First, it is cruel if romantic fulfillment is the meaning of life, which it is not. Movies and Jane Austen, bless her, have told us that romance is the point. That your job is to find somebody and you're not fully human. Think about Jerry Maguire. Remember what he says? You complete me. You are not complete as a human until you find a spouse. That's the message of this romantic theme, this narrative that we've been, we've been told for a few centuries at least now. And this assumption simply cannot be true. <laughs> the belief, uh, see, and this is why. You're not fully human until you have this sort of relationship, they say. However, in one sense it is true, actually, isn't it? Because you and I are designed to be relational and to have uh, deep intimacy. We're meant to have these things, and that's good. But saying that romance is king diminishes every other sort of relationship humans have. And that's a problem. But here's even the bigger issue. It sells this, this lie that you are made complete by another human being, and you're not. Biblically, it's erroneous to suggest that you can be made complete by another flawed human being. And if you believe it, and we've all done it, and you may be doing it now, if you do, you're prone to two big, big pitfalls. One is manipulation. If you believe that that person is the one who defines you and makes you whole, then you might be manipulated, because at some point they may something to you, uh, say something to the effect of, you know what, you can't leave me, without me you're nothing. 
And you might believe it. And people do all the time. Other people cannot define us. It's very simple. Okay? And you're prone to manipulation. Second thing is you're prone to disappointment. If you think that other person is there to complete you and to, to make your life better, then what happens when they don't? Then you're going to be bitterly disappointed. And let me be very clear. If your spouse hasn't disappointed you already, you're either not married or you've been married a week. Maybe. Maybe not even. I think I disappointed Sarah during the wedding ceremony. Like, it's immediate. So this idea that romance is the fulfillment and meaning of life, I understand it, but it's a lie. Romance is not. So if, if it were, then celibacy would be cruel, but it's not the meaning of life. So, more I could say. And by the way, here's a very simple line. If another human being makes me whole, then what is Christ to you? Christ is your salvation, not another person. So we have to push back against this lie. Watch the romantic comedy if you want, but make no mistake, it is selling you a bill of goods. And our young people are believing it. And it's not true. So, second, celibacy is cruel if marriage and sex are the only form of intimacy. So are we saying to people then in the culture that if you're single, if you're a widow, you're divorced, you're unmarried, you have no intimacy in your life? Because if you're single in the room, you know that's just not true. It's just not true. And intimacy is this, biblically. Being seen holy and seeing another person holy, and yet there being love between the two, regardless of the flaws you see there. The intimacy between a spouse, for instance, spouses, is they see everything. And I know the imagery is being naked, physically and spiritually. They see all of your mess, and they say, I still love you. Now, that is not only possible in a marriage relationship, but in other relationships. In Scripture, there's at least three I can think of off the top of my head. David and Jonathan, Ruth and Naomi, and Jesus and John. Think about a disciple being told the one that Jesus loved. I don't understand the nature of that relationship, but in some way, there's an intimacy there that was closer than with the others. And there's this intimacy that can happen in other relationships, not just in marriages. And to say that it only comes in sex and in marriage is, again, just not true. But this is something we see constantly. Notice this. When Jesus is reaching in his language in John 15, he's reaching to find what is the height of love. What does he say? There's no greater love than this, that a man should lay down his life for friend. Not his spouse, not his kids, not his grandparents, not his pastor, not his country. A friend. That's important. And maybe, I don't know if we'll get time to do it today. At some point, we'll talk about, if you're a single, how do you look for a spouse? Because this is, I'll say it very quickly. I risk of going a few, minutes, a few seconds long. Here's what we normally do. It doesn't matter what age you are. You walk into a room, and you see a room full of people. And immediately, you, you cancel out half the genders. Half the genders, only two. You pick the one, and you say, you know what? Uh, there's these women in this room. These ten are attractive. So I will now see which of those ten are suitable mates. Right? We, that's how we, we decide things attractively, physically. And yet scripture says the opposite and says, no, marriage is about friendship because trust me, you're not going to be sexy very long. Listen, you have to be really self-deluded to think you are as good-looking today as you were when you got married. It disappears, but the friendship is there. So what we ought to be saying, and we're eliminating how many people the way we date and the way we look for people, based on one thing that is not going to last anyway. We're kind of dumb, but it's because we're, we're believing this. Can't go into all those details. There's more to say. So, it's not the only form of intimacy besides God is love. 
There is no greater intimacy than God who looks at you and sees all the sins, even the ones you don't tell your spouse, and still loves you. So there is intimacy to be found as a single person that is different, maybe, than married intimacy, but no less rich and deep. Third thing, celibacy is cruel if Jesus is not divine. Now, I'll explain what I mean. Jesus was the perfect human and he was celibate. If celibacy is cruel and makes you less human, then Christ is less human, in which case you have a theological problem. Christ is fully human and he was celibate, which means celibacy cannot diminish your humanity. It cannot make you less human. Impossible. So I understand what the culture is saying. I do. But they're wrong. Christ is the model for everything. To make too much of romance and sex is to make too little of Jesus' humanity. Celibate singles are a countercultural model of humanity, pushing against sexualized narratives that say sex is the foremost human expression. And it's true. As a single person, as a single Christian, like it or not, you are a model for the church, which we're going to talk about in a second, and for the world. You're saying, I disagree with your narrative that says I must behave this certain way to be fully human. And you're a model for how that can be done and how you can have a good and joyful life regardless of the cultural assumptions. So, let me move now to the third point. uh, Singleness is a joy, it's not bleak. So meaning it's not a bleak life, it's a joyful life, a a life full of faithfulness and fun and joy and, and pleasure. Let me explain. Paul. Paul the Apostle was single. Interesting, you may not know this, most scholars believe he was married at some point, but became a widow. Because the odds of having a, Jew, a rabbi who was not married is very slim. So, regardless though, here's what we do know, he was single. And Paul is not a sex hater. Many skeptics will try to pose the Bible as being anti-physical relationships. Read the Song of Songs. Just read the Song of Songs, and you're going to see, man, it is not. The problem is, it doesn't see things the way the world does. But it's not, so Paul wasn't this hater, he wasn't a masochist at all. He, and he wasn't a guy who lived in a culture very different than ours. We are highly sexualized, but remember, the ancient world was incredibly sexual. Paul would have known the temptations to be promiscuous when he's traveling all by himself. He would have known what it's like to walk through Athens and Corinth, where the porneia was, if you know that in Corinth, which was basically this den of ill repute. He would have known what it's like to walk by, kind of like Vegas today, and where, um, where somebody says, hey man, why don't you come on in for a good time? He would have known not just the call of the women at the door, but of other men saying, what, are you not a man? Come on, that's what men do, go do it. So Paul isn't this prude, and he's not somebody who doesn't understand. But he also is one who wasn't frustrated, wasn't sexually repressed, he wasn't pent up, he wasn't bearing up with celibacy and singleness, moping through life just waiting for death. Right? This isn't the way he lived. Um, and he, but he does say in this passage, he wants them, the reason he says, you know, I wish you were like me because I have no anxieties that these married people do. And he's not saying marriage is bad, but if you're married, you know what he means. Because I am married, I must care about my job, my kids, how I spend my time isn't just my own. I have to make a certain amount of money to support them. I certainly can't jump into risky things all the time because if I pass away, I leave a family dependent on me. But if you're single, says Paul, I don't have these issues. I have more money because I'm not spending it on children and things. I have more time because there's nobody watching my, my time. I have flexibility. I can take more risks. And Paul understood this because if Paul wasn't single, the churches he planted wouldn't have been planted. 
Maybe, maybe not. He wouldn't have had the people he did have and as spiritual children. And he could do all this. He could spend more time in prayer. When he says that your anxieties aren't of the things of marriage, but of the things of God. If you're single, even if it's only for a time, if you've been widowed, if you're waiting for that spouse and looking for the one, whatever it is, that time is a rich time to be pouring into God and saying, who are you? How do I pray more? How do I serve more? How do I encourage more? That's the gift that's been given to you. Sam Alberry, same guy I quoted earlier, says this, because he's a single pastor. Some time ago, a couple I am close to called me and said they just, they just had some sudden bad news from their doctor and were clearly very distressed. Being single made it relatively easy for me to drop everything, throw a toothbrush in an overnight bag, jump in a car, and go visit them. It meant a lot to me to be able to do that. Another couple I know lost a child to suicide. I was able to stay with them for a few days. It was a sad privilege to be with them in times of such deep trauma. Singleness lends itself to this kind of intimacy. It provides the opportunity and freedom for it. So while I might not know the unique depth of intimacy a married friend enjoys, there is a unique breadth of intimacy available to singles that married friends would not be able to experience. He's right. And if you've ever been single as a Christian for a long time, you may, have, you may agree. Hopefully there's some people nodding in their hearts at least. So singles model as well for the church. You know what else they do really well for us? They model the sufficiency of Christ. They model for us that Christ is sufficient. I don't need another. We want people, and God calls us to other people and to community, but Christ alone is enough. And, and singles can help us, remind us who get so wrapped up in thinking our lives and our families are everything, and saying, my goodness, my families are good, but Christ is everything. And singles, and some in this church remind me of that constantly. So, um, again, much more I could say, but let me say this as well. When Jesus says to people, um, uh, to the disciples, if you've given up family, you will not fail to get a hundred times more in this life. And when, uh, what, is, what is the one when he says there? Did I put it in here? Um, oh, people say to him, Jesus, your family are here. And he says, who are my family? Those who do the will of God. Another thing singles remind me of, and hopefully you as well, is this. This family is very important. Because some of us in becoming Christians have lost other family, biological family. And Ultimately, you and I have more in common with each other than we do with some of our family members who are not Christians. And singles remind us by their service and by their calling and by their coming to help weed our garden when we're in Prince Edward Island. Remind us how important the family of God is. And I love that about a single people. Let the singles come to the church. You love it. And then think, and this is the last part about not being bleak. It can't be a bleak existence because Paul in Philippians has this to say. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. See, Paul lived a fulfilling, joyful life. He wasn't saying, God, get me out of here. I'm sick of waiting. I'm sick of being lonely. It's not true. It's not the way he lived. He was living a life that he didn't want to leave. He was willing to stay in for the glory of God and for the sake of those he was called to serve. So, it's not bleak. And lastly, and quickly hopefully, it is a preparation. It's not forever. Singleness is not forever. Every Christian is destined for marriage with Christ. Everyone. And so, the season of singleness you find yourself in, or in marriage, as we're going to see in this series, 
is a call to prepare, prepare yourself for the bridegroom. No matter what season you're in, singles then have this unique role to be able to help point us to the future marriage that we've talked about in Revelation that not a, a lot. And one of, them, one of the guys who pointed this out to me is a guy named Barry Danilak. He wrote probably the most academic and biblical, biblically robust uh, book on singleness called um, Redeeming Singleness. Very, it's, it's wonderful, but it, it can be a bit tougher than some other books. And in it he says this, when people choose to remain single for the sake of the kingdom of God because they recognize that their true sufficiency is found only in their relationship to Christ and the coming of his kingdom, and they orient their lives around this conviction, they become in their singleness visible signs of the coming new age. And so, they show us what it means to live in this eternity when marriages doesn't happen. Remember, Jesus says there's no marriage in the new earth. Which means that in the new earth, you're going to be single, but married to him. In which case, there's a sufficiency in him and an ex- a trust in him, a reliance on him that singles point to and model for us now. And they prepare us for that. And that's incredibly important. Singles, so let me say this. They tell us that Jesus alone makes us whole. He offers us intimacy. He will not manipulate or disappoint us. He sees you to your core, and knowing how miserable a sinner you are, nonetheless died for you. And because of that, we can trust him. And trust that even if we're single, you don't have to mope through it because you have a glorious husband on his way. And even now he's betrothed to you. And so we can trust him. So let me say very, very three sentences, maybe. Married Christians, be sensitive to the fact that single people are not broken or abnormal. Some people are called to singleness for the sake of you and the body. So let's not be disparaged and let's be careful with that wording of when you see a single person, a single girl who's 30 or 27 or 100, You don't say something like, oh, interesting, so any prospects? Like, not everybody is moving towards that. So let's just be sensitive of that. Single Christians, be encouraged. You're blessed and loved, and you have a vital part to play in God's kingdom and his plan for the restoration of all things. Skeptics, skeptic singles, your singleness is meant for something far greater than your sexual exploitation far more than defining myself as a certain gender or a certain sexual attraction. The world has made us think that that is everything. My friends, your singleness is far greater. That could never be captured by something as little as a gender identity. Stop thinking it. There's something far greater out there that is promised to you in Christ. You are called to prepare for this perfect spouse by noticing that you have erred, repenting, and now trusting this great king who has died for you. So with that, let me pray.